You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome on into the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. George Bremer and Ryan Hickey here with you. It is Tuesday afternoon, George. Not only do we finally officially know who the next Colts head coach is, it is Eagles, or former now, Eagles offensive coordinator, Shane second. We've also had his press conference come and go. A lot of takeaways. I really have three main takeaways from what he said, from what Chris said, from what Chris Ballard said about the hours that they did talk. We have a lot to kind of break down. You were there in the room. We'll get your thoughts as well. George, there's no other place we got to start than Jim Mercer doing it again. Talking about quarterbacks and talking about why Shane Steichen was the guy that they picked in the end to be the next head coach. He was raving about his ability to develop quarterbacks. And in that sense, Jim Mercer was talking about maybe the Colts will stay where they are. Maybe they'll trade up. Joking with Chris Ballard about trading back again, in which Chris Ballard does love to do. And Jim Mercer slipped out very innocuous, but very small, but powerful message of, quote, that kid from Alabama doesn't look too bad. And of course, boom, right there, the Twitter world explodes. I don't know about you, I audibly gasped listening to the, the live stream of just him actually outing his love for Bryce Young. But there's one thing, George, I have never felt more confident in uh, on this pod than saying right now, the Colts are going to draft Bryce Young. We've been talking about this, it's been a Bryce Young pod. Jim Mercer confirmed it. I have no doubt to this point in late April. The Colts, whether it's at number one, pick number two, maybe it's at pick number four. I think they will be saying when it comes to the Colts pick, Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. Uh, Certainly they would like to. I think we know that now. We don't have to question anymore whether the size is an issue or or any of the other things that are going on there. We know that the owner is a fan. Uh, which is definitely something that, that that's going to play into it. He did this a few years ago, too, when they were picking sixth. Uh, he mentioned Saquon Barkley, not by name. I don't even think it was – I don't even think he mentioned Penn State that time. I think he just said running back was was something that, that they were looking at, and everybody kind of perked their, their ears up. But, you know, that year it, it quickly became pretty apparent that the Giants were really interested at number two. Uh, and this Colts were still at three at that point, you know, and, and I think it – you know, they end up trading down and, and getting Quentin Nelson. So where it ends up, I don't know. But it definitely, to me, it answered a big question that we've all had, which is how much of a concern is is Bryce Young's size for this team? And I would say not much. Look, we've talked about it and really, you know, God on Jim Mercer for getting involved, getting his hands, you know, in the mix when he shouldn't have. This is the one exception, George, I'll make it. If Jim Mercer wants to get in there, bang down the door and say, we are drafting Bryce Young no matter what, I would say, Jim, more power to you. Go get him. Everything else, stay back, and we'll get into Jim Mercer's involvement here in a second. But that's the one instance where I'll say, Jim, have at it. Go for he's, it. He's been really involved in the quarterbacks in the past, too. I mean, you know, he's 
banging the table for Peyton Manning, banging the table for Andrew Luck. So I would not be surprised, you know, if he feels strongly about it. With Jim Irsay, too, a lot of it's stream stream of consciousness. So will he still feel the same way in April after they go through and and really look at these things and have the meetings with uh, Shane Sykin now that he's here and whoever his offense coordinator is and quarterbacks coach and all the people who are going to be involved in this? There's definitely things can change, but I think it, it does tell us, hey, Bryce Young's on their board. And they have a, a positive opinion of him, you know, and, and I think that's not surprising. Honestly, I, I, we've been saying for a while, Bryce Young's the best player in this draft. Uh, that hasn't changed in my mind. And it's good to hear the owner of the Colts kind of agreeing with that. Agreed. And right. The biggest thing is, you know, Chris Bauer, at least from a, from history would say that he's more of a traits guy and, and the, we'll say lack of weight trait, if that makes any sort of sense, it rhymes a little bit. So we'll go with it. Uh, that Bryce Young has could have been, you know, the biggest factor, maybe the Colts being off the board. And again, Jim Mercer's word, we'll see actually what it means. Um, at the end, like I said, in April, maybe he falls in love with CJ Stroud after a few months of tape study, or maybe God forbid, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. But again, for right now, at least it seems Jim Mercer is all in on, on Bryce Young. Two things I want to quickly hit on here about Bryce Young. It's kind of continue that conversation since that was really the thing that exploded from the press conference before he Morgan into Shane Sykin here. One is this. Do you think Jim Mercer actually hurt the Colts' chances of getting Bryce Young by basically saying out loud that's the guy he wants? Um, no, ultimately no, because I mean, first of all, teams end up knowing a lot more about what other teams want uh, as the draft approaches. As they just do the research, they talk scouts, they they get around, they they have a pretty good idea. I, I would guess that it probably would have gotten out. I mean, he's saying that in a press conference. He's probably saying it behind closed doors. It's going to get out sooner or later anyway. Um, the only thing I do wonder is, you know, the the biggest impact to me are twofold. One, you know, are the Bears kind of rubbing their hands together a little bit right now and saying, well, we'll ask for a little bit more because we know you really like Young. Or is Houston now motivated to go to number one? That's the one big question. Um, you know, and we'll see how that plays out over the course of the next couple of months. Um, it's not ideal. There's a reason the teams put up smoke screens and, and try to hide a lot of this stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day too, maybe we're reading too much into it. You know, he just, he's Jim Ursa. He, he does speak off the cuff a lot. He's saying he likes Bryce young again. I don't know if that was a franchise statement or if it was just the Jim Ursa statement, if that makes sense. Oh no. Yeah, I get it. Right. Jim speaks for himself, right? He sometimes he speaks for the Colts organization, I would say I would agree with you in this instance. He was speaking for himself and maybe not speaking for the room of what Chris Ballard likes. And I'm sure Shane Sykin is really so far no, you know, barely, if any, kind of scratches service in terms to breaking down draft eligible quarterbacks considering he just, you know, two days ago was coaching in a game in the biggest game of his life. So I don't think he's wasting his time watching Bryce Young and CJ Stroud film just yet, even if he thought he had a good chance to get the Colts job. Um, the one thing I guess I'll say is, yeah, obviously like I said you want to – be secret if you don't really want to let the cat out of the bag just so that you do kind of help your own leverage and maybe drive the price down. But the, the biggest price determiner is going to be who the Texans prefer. If the some if some of the Colts can find out either they love both Bryce Young and CJ Shroud and they like them so much that they're gonna stay at two because they know they're guaranteed to get one of them, they're not gonna trade up no matter what. That could also help the Colts. And if the Texans love CJ Shroud and that's their guy. I think it also helps the Colts in terms of the Texans probably know, okay, the Colts like Bryce Young. We're going to say two, and again, just drives down the price because, as we know, the biggest price mover is going to be competition. And if you're the Bears, too, we talked about this before, Colts sitting there at four, 
if you're the Bears and you are dead set on getting a good return, trading down from one, and also sticking in an area where you can still draft one of the two best defensive players, you it's really hard for them to basically get past four and still feel really good about getting either Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, assuming those are the two defensive players that are top ranked on their board. You go to seven, you go to nine, you know, where the Panthers are, where the Raiders are. It doesn't look, it's very unlikely you're going to get one of the two guys you want defensively. So, in a way, the Colts kind of, I feel like, sit at that four spot. Maybe that's where the Bears feel, you know, that's the lowest they'll feel comfortable in trading down and still getting their guy, feeling really good about getting their guy compared to going as five, again, five, seven, nine. So, I think the Colts, you know, that does kind of help them as well. But as you know, it's a long way between now and April. We do have a few months for a lot of deliberations. I'm sure at one point we'll hear about the Bears loving, you know, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Maybe they're going to stick in number one. You know, just the draft season rumors are going to be flying, and we are going to hear every angle, every connection possible between now and late April. I will say this. Justin Fields would look pretty good in the Shane Steichen offense if the Bears want to stick. You know, I'm I'm just saying. Um, But, no, another aspect of this, too, I mean, think about this. The Bears and the Colts play very similar defenses. I don't think I'm breaking any news here. I think people really understand. Matt Irufus came from Indianapolis. Gus Bradley is is in that family of, of defensive football. Um, so if the Bears go below the Colts, you're risking the Colts taking your guy. I mean, that's that's another element in here. Sure. You know, if you trade to another team and, and maybe the Colts decide not to go quarterback, you know, Chicago could end up seeing their guy go to Indy. So it's just there's so many, like you said, there's so many things, so many variables here. That's one I don't think we've talked about a lot. And the last thing I want to say about Bryce Young when it comes to coming out of this press conference was let's talk about Shane Steichen because he was asked, you know, look, you're going to have to draft a quarterback. What do you look for when it comes to, you know, the certain traits that you want your quarterback to have considering he's coached multiple variations, whether it's Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, all different styles of quarterbacks. And the three traits he listed that he loves, accuracy, decision-making, ability to create. I don't know about you, George, and he said this, by the way, I think it was even before Jim Mercer made the whole Bryce Young comment. That to me screamed, Bryce Young, Bryce Young, Bryce Young. That to me, if you are looking at those three traits the most, those three fit literally into exactly what we've been talking about with Bryce Young. We had Dane Brugler from The Athletic on a few weeks ago. Those are basically the the things he highlighted the most about Bryce Young. That to me screamed, Alabama quarterback is is kind of the guy he's looking for the most. Oh, absolutely. And and I think... Pat McAfee, I think it was the other day, said, you know, Bryce Young could be the Steph Curry of the NFL. And I think that's a good example because Steph was one of a kind. The way he played the game when he came to the NBA, everybody does it now coming up. But, you know, when Steph yeah. Curry first started taking those volleyball line three-pointers, I'll call him. You look at the high school gym. That's where he's shooting it from. You know, that was not common practice. That wasn't everybody's game. Uh, and there was a lot of question about whether it would translate. And it took a little while for it to. He wasn't an instant superstar in, in the league. Uh, but he became the face of the franchise, or face of the league there for a little while. I think Bryce Young, it's a, it's an interesting comp to me. Bryce is another guy who plays the quarterback position differently than, than anybody else. I think Dane called him a, a point guard on the field. He has a basketball background, sees the field like, like a point guard does the basketball court, distributes the same way. I mean, I think creativity is his number one weapon. Uh, and I think it would be really interesting when you take a guy, a quarterback with that kind of mindset and, and his unique skill set, and you pair him with a, with a coach as smart and as quick on his feet as, as Shane Sykin has proven to be would be a really fun and interesting combination to watch in Indianapolis. Without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt. I cannot wait. The, 
Draft day, George, cannot come soon enough. That is for sure. Oh, boy. I am ready to go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready because, to go, to say the least. Think there's any chance at the combine in Indy that the Bryce Young will be asked about the owner's comment? Probably not. Probably that and his weight. I think were the two topics. I think probably no one will ask about. <laughs> probably true. <laughs> no, probably no true. talking points whatsoever. All right, George. So let's talk about the big news of the day, or what we thought was going to be the big news of the day was the Colts introducing the 21st head coach of the Colts in their history in Shane Steichen. Um, I think a, a lot to take away here, a lot of different in, intriguing points. I think it's interesting. You want to start with Chris Ballard's maybe reasoning. When Chris Ballard was asked about, you know, why he hired Shane Sykin, he listed that he was a guy of high integrity, high character, a brilliant football mind, and that they see the game the same way. When you heard that last part, what does that mean to you? When you see this game the same way Chris Ballard, Shane Sykin, how'd you kind of take that? I think just in terms of, you know, philosophically, um, when you're looking at what type of football team you want to be, you know, and I think what that comes down to is winning in the trenches. I mean, that we know how Chris Ballard sees the game. And I think if you look at Philadelphia, uh, you watch that game, they spent the first half stuffing the Chiefs defensive line into a locker. I mean, it was a bully performance, you know, by that offensive line. And so I'm sure Shane Sykin has a real appreciation. And what, Philly led the the NFL, I think, in sacks this year. Um, So there's no question that he's got an appreciation for how important the line is on on both sides of the ball. That's, you know, from from the many times that, that we've been around Chris Ballard over the years, that's what came to my mind first. Right, and that's the thing. He loves to build from within, build on a strong offensive line, build a strong defensive line. I'm with it, too. You watch the Eagles the way they played this year. I mean, one of the things that worked really well for them was balance. You know, they're able to run the ball really well. But we saw even in the Super Bowl, we have to pass the ball. Jalen Hurts did a, a really good job passing the ball. A lot, you know, even, you know, even when they lost the game, they scored 35 points. Like, that was still a, a, an Eagles offense that for about, let's say, 85 to 90% of the game felt in control. I feel like they were dictating the pace. And again, part of that was even though they weren't running the ball outside of Jalen Hurts really that well, they still were able to kind of keep the Chiefs defense honest, which again, I think goes back to one of Chris Ballard's points of just like I said, kind of playing balanced football where you do have the offensive defensive lines kind of, you know, running the show, dominating the pace of the game and kind of instilling their will. Uh, I think that's an area that like I said, Chris Ballard has tried. Now that's the only thing I will say is he's tried now for, almost seven years uh, to try to win in a certain way. And it's some years it's worked. We saw this past year, it did obviously did not work at least on the offensive line whatsoever. So it's one of those where they see the game the same way. And you really hope that Chris Battles can either get the personnel right or Shane seconds, the right guy to get the most out of the personnel on the, on the roster to where we won't have a repeat of 2022 where you have, again, I still think a lot of talent on this offensive line, but now it's how can you get them to play up to that talent level? How can you get them to play up to that, pay scale level that they are getting where they are the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. I think it's definitely an area that they're going to have to focus on for sure. But like I said, it sounds like they are in lockstep and unison Shane Syke and Chris Ballard in terms of how they want to win. 
I do think it's that's big in, in terms of I do think when you look at a lot of organizations, the ones that are successful consistently are the ones that are unified. Owner, GM, head coach, similar vision, similar way to kind of win. And so far, at least that was one of the bigger takeaways and one of the themes from the press conference was it really did feel like Shane Syke and Chris Ballard almost made for each other in the sense that they do complement and really do believe a lot of the core values that each other's, you know, been pushing in their separate careers. Yeah, so we've been talking for months about how it felt like towards the end of the year, team was going in there yeah. wasn't one clear direction that there were, you know, this move was made and it looked like it was with this in mind. And they made another move that with another thing in mind and things just didn't seem to have a cohesive narrative today. They did, you know, I think all three of them seem to be on the same same page, uh, much different vibe up there, much different energy than when Jeff Saturday was introduced in November in terms of all three of them just seeming to be of a, of a single mind. All of them, you know, Steichen was emotional. His voice was cracking at the beginning, I don't know if the uh, camera was picking it up, but his young daughter was trying to get up to him a couple of times. Um, it was just a really adorable situation, but I think they, you could just feel they were all together, uh, you know, and, and that's a good thing, you know, from day one. I think Sykin's going to make a bunch of hires here in the next couple of days. The most important one's probably the offensive line coach, right? I think that's probably going to be the one that gets the most attention, uh, and it's the most important thing moving forward. If you can get this Colts offensive line to play like that Philadelphia offensive line was playing, uh, you'll change a lot about this offense right there. Without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt. That's for sure. We'll get to the staff hirings uh, here in a second. But going back to really quickly here, George, the, the Chris Ballard philosophy kind of mirroring those. One thing I liked a lot that Shane Second said when it comes to his philosophy and offense, you pass to score, you run to win. And I think we saw a lot of that too in Philly where, again, you got out to – they were one of the best, if not the best, first-half team in the NFL. They got out to early. Jalen Hurts would pass the ball a ton. And you could say maybe they not took the foot off the gas, but they were definitely, you know, more meticulous in the second half of games. But a lot of that was you run the ball to run down the clock. And I think we've seen that all year long where you have teams like – you look at a team like the Chargers, we see a lot of offensive talent and Justin Herbert's lighting it up. One of the reasons why they struggle in the playoffs and one of the reasons why they blew a 27 nothing lead, they couldn't run the ball. You When you have a lead like that, especially late in the season and we're in a playoff game – you have to be balanced. You have to be able to both throw when you need to, but also run the ball when everyone knows you're running the ball in order to win the game. And that's a philosophy I think I, I think is going to really translate well for the Colts here because you do need both. Again, it's a balance. It's a, We talk about the quarterback so much, and it's very important. It's the most important position in all of sports. But with that said, you also need to have some sort of balance where you can't rely on, especially a rookie quarterback, to win you every single game by throwing the ball 45 times a game and trying to salt the clock away that way. You have to establish the run. They have a great weapon in John and the Taylor to do so. I love that that philosophy is kind of, again, it's in perfect 2022 football. Pass the score, but also when it's time fourth quarter and you had that lead and how you preserve the lead, run the ball, get four or five first downs at a time, run that clock down. To me, it's the Peyton Manning formula. When he was here in Indy, you know, yeah. throw the ball early, get that big lead, and then for years it was handed off to Edron James. Uh, and, and run out the clock. After that, it was Dominic Rhodes and, and Joseph Adai, but the idea was still still the same. Get that big lead, run the ball, and then unleash those defensive ends and, and get after the opposing quarterback. You know, it's a pretty good formula. We're pretty well around here for about 12 years, uh, and it's working pretty well in Philly this year. I think it's one thing I saw from watching the Super Bowl, as we said, we were going to watch it, you know, with a different kind of mindset. They're aggressive. I mean, I think you can say that pretty clearly they they were taking shots down the field um even in the second half you know they, they, they're if it's there they're going to take a shot at it i think one thing the colts need that that the the eagles had obviously 
We talk about the offensive line. That's a big part of this. Uh, dynamic quarterback like Jalen Hurts, you're going to need something like that to make the offense really work. But the skill position players on the, the Eagles, I think they had a lot more wiggle than we've seen in Indy. A lot of the Indy guys are straight line guys. They're really good with speed and power, but they're straight line guys. Those Eagles skill position players had a lot more elusiveness. You know, the ability to make a guy miss in the open field. I think they need to find some of that this offseason uh, to maximize what what Shane Sykin wants to do. But the other thing he said about that, too, is, you know, it's going to change based on matchups. So I think what he means by that is you're playing the 32nd run defense. You may run early. You know, you're going you're gonna to still take advantage of, of what's there to take advantage of. But I think in general, yeah, that's what you do. You, you throw the ball early, you get the lead, and then you lean on a tired defense late and make them try to stop Jonathan Taylor. Seems like a pretty good game plan to me. And that's just, I feel like, just modern football. And I feel like sometimes it does sound like common sense. And if you're a listener, you're probably saying, yeah, no doubt. Like, it's going to, you know, if you're playing a bad pass defense, you're going to want to pass the ball a lot. Like you said, if you're playing the worst rush defense in the NFL, you're gonna, you want to run the ball a lot. We've seen plenty of instances in coaches and teams in the NFL that are stubborn, that say, this is what we do well. I don't care if that's the other team's strength. We're just going to beat them. And more times than not, either, you know, you struggle or it doesn't work and you lose the game in the area where you could have taken advantage of a weakness you see, you know, even in the Super Bowl, there's a weakness for the Eagles. And in man coverage, you see two wide open touchdowns from the Chiefs in part because they said, this is a weakness. So we're going to game plan for that weakness. And you have Shane Stake, uh, Shane Steichen, excuse me, basically saying that's what we're going to do. We're going to game plan for the other team's weakness. It's basically why Bill Belichick for now, you know, almost 25 years has been consistently winning in New England. That's He's the king of that. Take away what you do best on, you know, if when he's on defense, you're on offense. And offensively, Play to whatever your weakness is, and I, I said I think that's that's how you win in the modern day game. Even if you have a great quarterback, if you need to run the ball forty times because you're playing a bad run team, uh, run team, that's what you do. And I think that's yep. that's something the Colts are gonna, you know, I think Frank Reich did that well for the most part as well. I think also we've seen instances as well with any coach where they kind of get tried and you know kind of stay to what they know instead of gearing towards the game plan of again a certain opponent, but. Very excited to kind of see that. And that kind of brings us, George, to at least what Shane Sykes was talking about is four pillars um, when it comes to having a team. He said the four things he wants to rely on and he wants his team to have character, preparation, consistency, relentlessness. And kept talking about how, which I liked a lot, it's all about the players. Like it is a player's league at the end of the day. They're the ones who make the plays. And I think when you kind of have that attitude of basically we are going to put the players in the best position to succeed, that in a at the end of the day, I think is what separates some of the good teams from the bad teams. Oh, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, same same coaching tree here as Frank Reich. We know they're, we're, we're in the same family uh, that the Colts have been in now for, for five years. That part sounded the most like Frank Reich to me. Those pillars, very similar to what Frank Reich preached around here. And I think that's a good thing. I know there's going to be some listeners who are probably a little bit not excited about any comparison to Frank Reich. But I think when you're looking at roster that was built to play for Frank Reich that listened to his message for five years when Shane Sykin is going to stand up there and say some things that are familiar with his own spin he's not a clone by any right by any sense of imagination you know but that that the basic underlying foundation is the same I think that's going to be good for the players it's what they know it's what they've been taught uh and it'll make the transition a little bit easier if they're saying okay it's the expectations are similar to what they were in the past it's funny, like, not that a lot of fans need this reminder, but Frank Reich was a really good coach. And again, he was unfortunately the product of a really tough circumstance where 
You had zero stability at quarterback. You had a, you could argue, an ascending top five quarterback with Angela coming back the way he did in 2018 and on the rise in 2019, retire out of nowhere. And he still had some really good offenses considering the fact that, you know, you look at the pieces changing each and every year. So you're 100% right. If you hear some Frank Reich-isms or Frank Reich philosophies uh, from Shane Sykin, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. This guy is a good offensive mind that, again, we kind of joked about when we were doing our live reaction on Sunday to the news that was breaking when we were live was the fact that, well, um, he's not going to have, you would think, I think I can feel good saying this, Shane Sykin is not going to have the same quarterback carousel that Frank Reich had. You are going to have way more stability than Frank Reich ever had. You're doing the fingers crossed. I know it's, a, you have to say it's a caveat. I get it. But the odds of also the odds of five quarterbacks in five years again is extremely extremely slim. I hope I'm not sitting here in five years from now getting old take exposed and you know having this audio come back up to bite me. <laughs> but I feel pretty damn good in saying Shane Second will have a better will bet a more luck than Frank Reich. And again, if he is a, not a clone, but again has certain principles and philosophies of Frank Reich, that's a good thing because Frank Reich is a really good offensive mind. I don't have it in front of me, but I can't imagine that's happened before in NFL history. Not with one head coach. I mean, if you had five quarterbacks in five years, you probably got fired somewhere right. during that stretch. That That's just unheard of. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I don't think you're going to see that happen again. And honestly, that's what the whole goal is here to draft a guy, right? That's the whole point behind this. Stop that carousel. Bring in a guy. And the kid from Alabama looks pretty good. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, but I think that's, that's what you're, you know, that's, that is why you bring in Shane Sykin in my mind. And they kind of touched on that a lot today. He's yes. done a really good job developing Justin Herbert. He's done a really good job developing Jalen Hurts. And the number one goal, not the only job, but the number one goal for this head coach is going to be developing this rookie quarterback. And I'm glad, like I said, everyone's on the same page because Jim Mercer is the one preaching it. Chris Bauer's talking about it. And like I said, it's at, at the end of the day, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest separators for, for Shane Sykin compared to every other candidate, and there, again, there was a lot of them, was, like you said, the ability to develop the quarterback. And, and Jim Mercer said he felt the, you know, the most confident in Sykin's ability to develop a quarterback over everybody else. And you, like you said, you look, when you worked with Phil Rivers in the short time that you know they were together when he was the offensive coordinator, you have Phil Rivers you know, tying to his career best in, in passer rating. Completion percentage was the second high of his career, uh, highest of his career. You have Justin Herbert then as a rookie. Uh, working with him, set the rookie record for touchdown passes with 31. Justin Herbert was offensive rookie of the year that year. And you see what he did with Jalen Hurts, where he you know took him to an MVP level in year number two. This is a guy now who has a track record with three different styles of quarterbacks at three different stages of their career, all getting the best out of them. And it's just, again, it just it makes you real excited that whoever the Colts do draft, fingers crossed it's Bryce Young, but whoever the Colts do draft, you feel really good about Shane Sykin's ability to develop them, which again, if that's what he's able to do, mission accomplished. There's a lot more to getting to, you know, being a head coach. I get that. But definitely first and foremost here is, is trying to get the guy into town and having, you know, finding the next guy to be there for a decade. And if you are, if you can get Shane Sykin to develop that quarterback to be without a doubt the next the guy there for the next decade, mission accomplished. Yep. No, and I think even as this search got started, that's one of the things we were talking about on the show is, hey, whoever's in here is going to have to build a really good structure around the quarterback. Uh, and I think you feel like Shane, of, of all the guys in this uh, candidacy, and there were a ton of them, as you mentioned, um, probably has the best ability to do that because he knows what it takes. He's seen it done uh, a lot of different ways. 
Uh, you would assume the guys that he's bringing in are going to be guys that helped him along the way uh, to get these things done. That's the other thing I really like today from him. You know, he was thanking everybody who got him here. As you mentioned, all the players, I think he named every offensive player on the Eagles roster uh, when he was going through that. But he went all the way back to his high school football coach. You know, and I think that's just, it's, it's just telling about who he is in terms of respecting his roots and, and understanding that he, he got here on the shoulders of other people. And that's something to me that, that really is going to resonate with Chris Ballard. It's very similar to Chris Ballard. I, I think their backgrounds are, are similar in that way. And I think it just is encouraging that, that they'll work together well, because going back to that question earlier about, you know, them seeing the game the same way, that's part of it. I think they see life the same way a little bit. Uh, you certainly had hints of that during the press conference today. That's true. That is uh, that is very true. You mentioned it before. Let's get into it now, George. The staff, right? He was uh, Shane Sykin was asked today, "Are you going to retain Gus Bradley as defensive coordinator and Bubba Ventrone as special teams coordinator?" Was very noncommittal. Did not give an answer. Basically, said, "We're going to get into it this week." It was funny. I did. There was a trend. He did not answer many questions, uh, like actually directly, which is kind of funny to me. Definitely played off a lot and just said, oh, "We'll get into it, or we'll worry about that. We we'll have to worry about it." But Non-committal so far on, on the two coaches left over right now, currently from the Jeff Saturday, Frank Reich regime. Nick Hill, in, end of the day, is should, I guess. We'll, we'll go with should. Should he retain both Gus Bradley and Boba Ventron? At this point in the in the process, I think so. I mean, we, we talked about the one downside to, you know, this this taking as long as it did is a lot of guys are off the board. You know, there aren't the same number of candidates, obviously, that there were when the season ended. You know, a lot of guys have been hired, guys like Idro Evero, for instance, out in Carolina. Um, a lot of those positions got filled. So, yeah, you know, I think that's part of it. Why? But the other thing, it's important to note, Gus Bradley was there and Bubba Ventrone was there. They were in the room. They Interesting. I, every, every defensive coach was there uh, from last year. They were all there, all the assistants. Um, so, to me, that's, that's more telling than, than Shane's answer. Yeah, that's really, yeah, I would assume that's a, I didn't really, they didn't obviously show the, the crowd on the camera. So that's a really good point and a really good observation that, yeah, I feel pretty safe now knowing if, if you're Gus Bradley, you're going to that press conference, you know, you're being retained. You're not, you're not going there. Uh, I would say with maybe your future in doubt or, you know, getting the word that, hey, we're probably going to go a different direction. And I think that's a good thing in the end because, like I said, the Colts defense is not the issue this past year. And I like the fact that he's going to have on the staff a guy with previous head coaching experience, when you are making your debut as a head coach, it just helps to have someone who's been there, who knows what it's like. Even though Gus Bradley, look at his record, is not successful. He just knows, you know, some of the ins and outs and, and you know, maybe give Shane Sykin a few, you know, pointers and, and, you know, cut corners in terms of how to avoid maybe some of the rookie bumps or rookie walls that we've seen head coaches run into. So I think also just the experience as well of being a former head coach um, having that next to and kind of on Shane Sykin's side, I think is it would be huge, huge for his uh, learning curve as well. He also interestingly mentioned he was going to call the plays. So he's going to be a first event coach, also going to be calling the plays on Sundays for the offense. Do you have a problem with that? No, because I think it's part of why he got the job. I mean, you look at Philadelphia's upswing started when he took over play calling about halfway through last season. Um, so I think that, you know, if that's what made you the guy the Colts wanted to bring in here, then it makes sense for you to at least be heavily involved in it, uh, you know, as you come in now. And Frank Reich did it, you know, his whole time here. He did it from from day one. 
Uh, I think it's kind of the trend. You know, there's I feel like I haven't done the research, but I feel like as we see more offensive minded head coaches get hired, um, fewer and fewer offense coordinators are actually calling plays. You know, I think Shane was in the minority uh, as far as working for an offensive minded head coach and being the offensive coordinator calling the plays. Brian Callahan, who was in the search, mm-hmm. did not call the plays in Cincinnati, for instance. Um, you know, and that, that seems to be more the, the way it is these days. I thought it was interesting. Rich Bisaccia, who was one of the finalists, who Jim Mersey mentioned they really liked and did a good job, said, you know, what, what he learned from his interim, he told the, the Raiders website this at the end of the season, uh, after his season as the interim coach, that what he learned most was that there was time to do it, that, that he could still be the special teams coordinator and still follow, you know, do everything he did on that side, but also during the week, go into meetings in other rooms and be the leader of the team. Uh, you know, so I think there's different opinions out there, obviously. Uh, but, you know, at least there's one guy who's done it who said, hey, it's not as hard as it's cracked out to be. And I really think you look across the league, that's the trend. Most of these offensive head coaches are calling plays. And again, I think it comes from, Look, if you just got a multi-million dollar job, wouldn't you want to do the thing you did that helped you land it? No, you're 100%. You know, you're right about that for sure. And it's just it's, just, it's interesting because when you look at where he's coming from and kind of Nick Sirianni, who, again, as you mentioned, was one of in a, one of those offense coordinators in Indy that did not call the plays. Like I said, that's kind of more of a trend now too. Um, but he came in, was calling the plays in Philly and gave it up rather quickly. And all of a sudden, like you said, as soon as he gave up the play calling, you saw that Philly offense run the ball, be more explosive, and really be a different team in the second half compared to the first half. So, like I said, I like the fact that he has a lot of experience calling plays already. He wouldn't be like a Brian Callahan, who I was high on, but Brian Callahan would have been coming in, calling the plays for the first time if you if he chose to, assuming he would, and then also being a first-man coach. That's a, that is a lot on your plate, so it is nice, that, like you said, he has that experience. He's been doing it now for a year and a half doing it at a very high level, guiding the second highest scoring offense in the NFL this past season, guiding an offense that scored 30 points or more in each playoff game, including the most points scored uh, in the Super Bowl by a losing team. So that's a guy like you said mentioned. He's done it so far really well. No reason that he should be giving it up right now. And worst case, I mean, if we're sitting here week nine or week 10, he looks overwhelmed. Okay, different story. I think definitely at least to start off, I have no problem with him calling plays and kind of get things going. Like I said, that's where he really – kind of so far has made his hay. And then it also just underscores the importance of an offensive coordinator, even though they won't be calling plays, just again, help take a little bit off his plate and maybe make his job, again, a little easier where he has more time to go with the defense and the special teams, like I said, outside of just being solely, solely in the offensive meetings. But Josh, let me just ask you this then. This guy popped up in my, in my head when, when, it was, uh, when the press conference was going on. Assuming, let's say assuming Gus Bradley's retained, Having head coaching experience uh, on that side of the ball, does that make it easier where maybe you could not split it down the middle where you let Gus Bradley basically run the entire defense, you run the entire offense? Like, not saying like that, but in a way, like, does that make Shane Steichen's job easier where in the sense of, hey, Gus Bradley knows what it takes. He's basically the CEO of the defense. And while I won't, you know, won't totally ignore them, maybe I can spend less time on that side of the ball than. I would if it was a first-time defensive coordinator or a first, you know, a guy with no head coaching experience. Like, let's just say, no, John Gannon just got hired. But let's say he was taking John Gannon with him to be the defensive coordinator. Like in that instance where he has no head coaching experience, I just wonder if you're Shane Second now, it also makes your transition easier. Where you can say, I trust Gus Bradley to where I don't have to be as dialed in on the defensive side of the ball because this is a guy who's 
been head coach for kind of knows how it works. I just, I just wonder kind of going forward if that's, you know, kind of something we'll see in training camp OTAs and obviously in the season. Yeah. hundred percent. I think going back again to Frank Reich and his example, he let Matt Eberflus pretty much run the defense. You know, he was obviously he's involved. He was in uh, the meetings early in the week. Uh, if they played an opponent that he knew particularly well, he got a little more involved that week, you know, just letting them know, hey, this is what they like to do. You know, this is somebody I coached with before or a quarterback I had before or, you know, whatever that case may be, uh, where you have those kind of relationships. He's going to get involved and, and, and be more involved in those weeks. But for the most part, it was Matt Eberflus's defense. You know, he ran that side of the ball. I would expect that'll be the case here. And like you said, Gus has run an, an entire team before. So I think you're going to feel more comfortable with him kind of taking control of that defense, running that side of the ball, having things, you know, at least not every question has to come across your desk. You're going to obviously clear things. You're going to be involved in the game plan. It's not like you're just going to, like you said, split it right down the middle and he's not going to have any idea what's happening on the defensive side, but you're not going to have to worry about that as much. You can, you can work with the offense, you know, work with that game plan. And, and go forward from there. What I'm interested in is, you know, who's he going to hire offense coordinator, offensive line coach, QB coach, wide receivers, running backs, because that Frank Reich style that Doug Peterson does in, in Jacksonville that I'm sure Nick Sirianni continued in Philadelphia. It's so collaborative. So even though you've got Shane Sykin calling the plays on game day, that game plan was put together by the entire staff during the week. So I think those guys are going to be, really important hires. And I think having somebody on the defensive side who can kind of just do that on his own, helps those offensive coaches, you know, huddle, make that, that much stronger for them. Right. Give more free time and allow, just like I said, even that, you know, just the, the flow of information, the flow of discussion, just to, you know, kind of, you know, figure out extra, you know, game plans or, or bring a little more creativity. And like I said, kind of constantly being bogged down by trying to answer a million questions and kind of going through, you know, the grind and the responsibility that a lot of head coaches are uh, are faced with, especially for the first time um, as head coach. I want to. What I found was interesting too uh, from this press conference, George, was Jim Mersey making it seem like this was a coveted job. One of the things we talked about heading to the offseason, but really ever since Jeff Saturday was hired, was how the Colts are going to be perceived by the rest of the league. Would this be an attractive job? We know the five jobs that are out there. Would the Colts be like number five on that list? And I think when you see the, the candidates of 13, when you hear kind of, you know, when you see how long it takes when you have so many still coaches interested where you have, you know, you go from 13 to eight and, you know, taking three or four weeks, a lot of people it's seeming like one of this job. I think at least I'll speak for myself. I was wrong when it comes to how this Colts job would be perceived. I think Shane second, you know, hearing his emotion, hearing his, his joy, uh, for how, you know, for how little, you know, how little joy it seemed he can kind of release. He was more of a serious, you know, serious demeanor. How, you know, he kind of sent a little bit of joy there getting the job. If like this Colts job was definitely more coveted, more valued than maybe I would have thought, or I did think going into the search after the season was over. Oh yeah. You know, Chris Byard, he, he's known for like his relationship with the media and, and, and how he deals with, he is not afraid to rebuff us when he gets a chance. He, he, he revels in that, and, and he did kind of take that little shot uh, during the press conference today saying, even though he had heard a lot that the job was was not as desirable as it used to be, uh, that didn't turn out to be the case with the candidates. You know, look, they, they, they had a good list. We talked about that throughout 
the last six weeks uh, that there were a lot of guys on there that we felt like could could be good head coaches. And ultimately, we said all along, really doesn't matter what the process is. Really doesn't matter who wants it or doesn't want it. Matters where you end up. And I think right. you feel pretty good about Shane Sykin being the the ultimate uh, winner of, of of this sweepstakes. You know, um, I think he's a guy that was clearly on the rise. Really smart offensive mind. Uh, fits in with the way the league's kind of going lately. Uh, I feel good about where this process ended, and and that ultimately makes me feel good about the process and about how desirable the job was. You know, I think we'd be having a different conversation right now if it ended in a different direction. Absolutely. And again, you look to like, you look at the questions where you look at Shane Sykin, who is a guy that was in demand. you just went to the Super Bowl. If he truly wanted to be picky, he could have easily waited another year, maybe see what happens with the chargers or, you know, any other job that opens up that has, you know, an established quarter. Like, like the fact that he took a job in the Colts where we think that we 99% sure they're going to draft a quarterback. We don't know who though. Will they trade up? We're not sure. So you're sitting there at four in a good spot, but you don't know who the quarterback is going to be. You just had your owner embarrass himself and embarrass the franchise the last two months of the regular season. And there's a lot of reasons for a guy in demand to say, eh, I'm good. I'm going to stay where I am right now, continue to build my stock or try to go somewhere else. Um, and, and instead he said, I want to be with the Colts. So he goes to the process. And I think that does speak volumes and does at least make me feel better going forward about the state of the Colts. And you hear Jim Mercer also talk about how he feels like this team is not that far away roster-wise. I don't like. I don't think he's crazy. Now we also got to say, what does that mean, right? Like not far, not that far away. I would not say Super Bowl contention. I would say not that far away from playoff contention. I don't think that's crazy right. from competing in the division for AC South title. I don't think they're that far away roster-wise. No, you got to fix the offense. I mean, it's such a simple and obvious thing to say, but that—that's how far away you are. You get the right quarterback in here. You get the offensive line back playing at the level we know it's capable of, and you get a healthy Jonathan Taylor, and you'll see them be in playoff contention. I, I think that's really what it takes. Um, the other thing I thought that that was interesting, maybe it's just because of my question, but you know, at some point during that, that long press conference, Shane said, "I didn't hear one bad thing about this organization. The people that I talked to did a lot of research. He obviously had a lot of coaches that he was working with who had been here." Uh, Philip Rivers, he had obviously been talking to. There's a couple of players on the Eagles who were here. He said he didn't hear one bad thing about the organization. I think that goes back to your whole point here originally, which is, you know, is the job going to be coveted? Well, if there was one guy, and we said it early on, who might be affected by all that, it would be Shane Sykin because of his relationship with Nick Sirianni, because of his relationship with Frank Reich. If there was one guy who was going to say, eh, got a little bit of a circus over there, and I don't know if I want to be a part of that, he would have been at the very top of that list. So for him to ultimately get this job, it says, A, he really liked what he heard, which means that it wasn't damaging even to the people involved. And B, it means that Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard were willing to go back to a well that they'd, they'd gone to before. Now, Ballard you know, made a point of differentiating that and saying, look, you know, it, it's a different or Eagles organization. It's not exactly the same thing as what happened last time. But there's no doubt there's similarities, and, and and we've already seen some of them. I think we'll see more. The point is, this was a guy who was in position to know all the dirty details, to yes. know every skeleton in the closet, and he still took the job. That's a good sign to me. Oh, absolutely, and that's uh, that's why I think his hire of you know him specifically and what he knows and who he knows more than anything else kind of does kind of highlight the you know 
that the Colts are, are in better standing across the league than I really assumed that they would be. Again, considering the, the circus that has gone on the last two months and hearing just kind of Jamer say anytime he speaks, just kind of put his foot in his mouth and really kind of put this team in a, in a tough spot, put the fans in a tough spot. It is, it is relieving to know kind of going forward here, like I said, that at least the either the noise or maybe it's not, you know, within the coaching circle, it's definitely nowhere near as bad and as as dire as maybe we thought it was uh, publicly, that's for sure. All right, let's kind of wrap up, George. You were in the building, in the room. Kind of what was your sense? What was your overall takeaway from, from Shane Sykin's press conference here? What's kind of your initial feel from the new Colts head coach? There's a lot of positive energy in that room, There's a lot of excitement. I mean, they played a little video beforehand. I don't know if that went out on the stream. Uh, sort of a highlight type video had a lot of media clips from the last weekend, you know, as, as the news was being announced, even had a little viral clip from Steichen himself in there uh, talking about championships. And, you know, it, it was, I, it just felt like similar to when Matt Ryan came in last year. And I know ultimately the end was not what anybody wanted. And, and that's why these moments, you know, they're, they're worth what they're worth, you know, in this moment in time. But even then, it felt like, okay, it was a long search, but you landed a guy that you wanted. There was a lot of positive energy in that room, uh, very similar today, where I just think you could tell. Again, I, to, to me, the biggest takeaway, all three of those guys were happy. They were smiling. They were, you know, shaking hands. It didn't feel fake. It felt very genuine. You know, I, I think everybody was on the same page again. And that's, what did we say for six weeks? Get the circus out of town. That's the number yes. one thing. The new coach has to come in and get the circus. The tents need to be packed up. The elephants are gone. The train is left town before that rookie quarterback walks in the building. And I, I felt like that happened today. I'm with you. Like I said, I think it's – you kind of felt the unison, which is good. Um, I really like the fact that, again, you have a, a now a head coach that – not. The, I think it's just is understanding of what wins in 2023 – um, and is going to bring that kind of philosophy to the Colts where, again, it doesn't, it's all week by week kind of again, where it, it's whatever you can do to get the best possible matchup in your, uh, against the team that you're playing. That's to me, that's how you win in 2022 or 2023 now, I should say, going forward here. Um, I like the fact that I like that, the, you know, they're all kind of on the same page. I like the fact that it seemingly he loves Bryce Young. Man, that was my biggest and most, you know, exciting takeaway is the fact that him and at least Jim Mersey, We'll say are in agreement of maybe who the best quarterback is in this draft for sure. Um, and it just sounds like, again, like the thing I guess I like the most, maybe I'll say is this. He didn't win the press conference, which I weirdly, as weird as that sounds, I kind of like. Like there was no really sexy headline. There was no quote that was just kind of like, hey, you know, we're going to clean it. You know, like you hear a lot of positivity anytime, basically 99% of head coach uh, press conferences. But the fact that there really wasn't anything that was just kind of like one of those clickbaity cliche things. Like, I just kind of like that he was kind of real. He didn't really give like, you know, he was specific in some answers, didn't give a lot of other answers. Just he seemed to me, I guess, very down to business, which yeah. not saying that Frank Reich was not and not saying that other coaches there were not. But just it's nice to see that this guy is serious and just goes, I'm just going to care about whatever it takes to win. And that means basically I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to say things I don't believe, or I'm not going to say things just to get a good reaction on day number one. I just this is who I am. This is what I'm going to believe, and that to me I found refreshing. Yeah, no kneecaps were being bitten. Right, there were no no like I said there, no long stories about planting flowers and whatever that was that Nick Sirianni was talking about uh, when he took over in Philly. It, it was just a normal press conference, which honestly, 
I'll be quite honest. After the way the season ended, the last two months of the season, normal was really good. It was really nice to walk in and just have a normal average press conference where you just say, hey, this is why we hired the guy. This is why we like him. And he says, hey, I'm happy to be here. Uh, it was nice just to have some normalcy again. I would agree. I would agree with that. The bar was set very low uh, considering how these last few months have been. So, so far, so good, George. The Colts have found their next head coach in Shane Steichen. Next thing will be getting a staff in order, and then you assume draft prep is starting. The Combine's coming to town very soon here. So things are going to really, really, really pick up quickly. So very excited about that and very excited to kind of see how the Colts get ready to shape their roster now in the eye of their new head coach is also part of the relief of finally getting the guys. Now we can, all right, now we can finally see what roster decisions make sense, who's going to fit where, who does, you know, who, who can fit this system and the scheme. So a lot of information now will start to stream and we'll start to get an idea of what this Colts roster will look like for the 2023 season. And that thankfully started on Tuesday with the announcement, the official announcement of Shane Syke and his ex Colts head coach. So very exciting day. Uh, very exciting podcast for sure. I will say this is the podcast. I haven't been this excited for a podcast, George. I will probably say since the week three win of the Chiefs. And that's not to say we're dreading any other podcast. I do love talking about this. But the fact is the Colts have not given you a lot of reasons really this season to be excited to talk about them. It's not exactly fun to talk about them blowing a 33-0 lead. I will say it was a little bit of fun week 18 when they blew that game to the Texans and helped get the, you know, knock them out of the number one overall pick and open up the door for them trading up to number one. That was, that was exciting. That was fun. But otherwise, just pure joy from something good happening to the team. I think it's really since week three when they beat the Chiefs, surprisingly, made the big, you know, easily the biggest surprise of the season. Well, actually, I don't know about that. That's, that's a stretch because there's a lot more surprise after that, but maybe the biggest surprise in a positive way, we'll say then. <laughs> Uh, so this was, this was a fun pod. This is nice to George. I feel like for the first time in months, talk about yeah. this team in a way that actually is positive and we can actually see a direction going forward here that you actually can kind of start to believe in and feel good about compared to again, the last few months. Yeah. Bright and sunny. Uh, everything's well, it's not sunny in India today. You can probably see that through my windows. Uh, but it's, it was sunny inside the building. And I think that was really an important part of this. It just, Changing the mindset. I think that's a very important thing. You know, you can start to be a little bit more optimistic. Uh, and now we can focus on the real important thing this offseason. Who's the next quarterback going to be? That's right. We can resume the draft talk, which you know we will definitely be doing here in the next episode. So that will do it for this episode of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We'll have a special edition on Thursdays. Make sure you stay tuned. That'll be a little bit different than some previous pods we have done. So we'll be back on Thursday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.